Well, thank you for that this morning. I, I love that song, and it fits very well with what, uh, what I'd like to talk to you about this morning. You know, I was supposed to uh, do this a couple of weeks ago on the 1st of February, but um, we got snowed out. And the next day, Chris uh, unfortunately had an accident, got his car destroyed, and got a pretty good-sized bump on the noggin, I guess. I don't know if he actually hit his head, but he certainly has had some of the aftermaths. And so I, I, they called me and asked me if I would fill in today, and I just happened to have a sermon. So it's funny how that works. You know, I have a newsflash for you. We're all different. Some of us are more different than others. But we're all different. We're all unique. You know, and in that regard, we have things that... Um, we have about our, our physical selves that are different, our appearance is different, our emotions, our responses, our attitudes, our behaviors. There's so much about us that is different that it's part of what really makes it remarkable to look at a group of people and just see how different and yet how together we all can, can be. But one of the things that we have in common, whether we like to admit it or not, is that we can all be sometimes in situations where we need some comfort. Whether we want to admit it or not, there are those times when comfort is something we might seek or we might not seek. But you know, this is a big discussion, and because it's such a big discussion, I want to narrow it down this morning with a question. And the question is this, by whom or by what do you want to be comforted? Now, the interesting thing is we seek comfort in a lot of different ways. And sometimes when we seek comfort, we're successful in finding it. Other times we're not. We also know people who perhaps seek our comfort. And in fact, you may even know some of the folks who are constantly seeking comfort, so that if you walk in the door and see them, you immediately start looking for an escape. Because comfort is something that one way or another, good, bad, or ugly, we all need. And it is interesting that as we take a look at comfort in Scripture, there's an awful lot about comfort, but there are some pretty bad examples of, of comfort, some pretty dysfunctional examples of comfort in Scripture. If you remember the book of Job, you remember that Job as an individual lost more in one day than just about anybody you can think of. He lost everything. And in the process of all that loss and all that tragedy, Job was really at his wit's end. And you remember that Job had some friends. And these three friends of Job's decide to show up and comfort him. When they first got there, Job was in such a bad state that they didn't even recognize him. He looked so bad. 
And I can imagine their shock when they realize that this is their friend Job. And the scripture tells us that what they did, because they were so taken aback by how Job looked, they sat down with him for seven days and didn't even say anything. They were silent. Which, as it turns out, was the best thing that they ever did. Because when they started talking to Job and when they started trying to help Job, they were anything but comforting. They were accusatory, they were judgmental, they were out and out aggressive to Job to the point where it even got into a rather uh, heated exchange, I think, at some times. I think I'm probably going to need some comfort, although, you know, you may or may not be able to relate to this. Well, I remember back when I first got out of college, after I graduated from school, I had been a teaching assistant, and so they actually let me teach incoming freshmen a, a course. And so I had gone from teaching college to coming back to Peoria, or Pekin, sorry, uh, And in the process, I got a job as a substitute teacher. Whereupon, for some reason, and I have no idea how this happened, I got typecast to teach the second grade. (laughs) And I taught the second grade. I don't think I ever taught anything but the second grade. It was one of the hardest things that I have ever done. And there were some days I needed some comfort. I guess the reason why that comes to my mind is that you know, uh, some of you know, that I spend a lot of my time teaching, um, and I teach medical students and residents. So what am I doing on Tuesday? I'm teaching Pastor Mark's Bible classes at Peoria Christian School to high school sophomores and seniors. And I'm like... The more I've prepared, the more I've kind of gone, oh, boy, high school students, you know. And I'm, I, I, I almost called Jeremy, Jeremy to get some comfort, you know. But the, the thing is that um, comfort, we need comfort about lots of different things. Sometimes it's just the stuff that annoys us. Other times it's stuff that's really awful. But let me, let me tell you something to get us started in the text for today. If you'll look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, one of the texts in Scripture that I dearly love has to do with comfort. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it goes like this. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, but I'm sure you'll be able to follow along. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I think what is significant about this passage of Scripture is Paul goes on to talk about some of the things that he and others are enduring for the name of Christ. And he's writing to the people in Corinth who are not getting along very well right now. They are not getting along with each other very well. If anything, they're not comforting one another. They're fighting with one another. He even chastises them because they're suing each other. 
And in the process of going to court, they're going to the pagan courts, and they're dragging their troubles in front of people who aren't even Christians. And he, he knows that in the process of their doing this, you know, he says, you know, at one point, isn't there at least one wise person in your midst, one person with some judgment who's a believer that could help you settle your differences? And the thing is that in the process of looking for comfort, he's talking to people here who probably need some comforting, but he focuses on God. And then he focuses on how as we're comforted by the God of all comfort, it should be instructive for us to be able to comfort others. Interestingly enough, in Psalm, back in Psalm 68, 19, you don't have to turn there, but it says, Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. If you look at the NIV, it says that God daily bears our burdens. He cares for us so much and wants to provide for us what we need that he daily bears our burdens. I think the important thing here that that I would want to, to point out is that in the passage of Scripture from verse 3 through verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 1, Paul uses the term comfort ten times in this translation. But he is not talking about consolation or sympathy. What he is talking about is encouragement or maybe even exhortation. But basically coming along someone side and being able to say to them the things that will build them up and help them, not just, oh, you're having a bad day. I think when we're left to our own devices in terms of providing comfort, we can be pretty stupid at times. And so what I'm going to do is something that I thought I wouldn't do in the second service because I know this is going to go on the web. But I'm going to tell you a story about once when I was not very comforting. In fact, I was an idiot. I went to a funeral of someone with whom I went to high school. And in the process of going to the visitation, rather, I walked past the casket and I looked at him. And as I'm leaving, I meet his wife. And I said to her, what came out of my mouth next horrifies me to this day. I said to her, he doesn't look good. Whereupon she looked at me and said, well, he's dead. You know, it would have been better for me to be like one of Job's friends and just not say anything, you know. But could I say, I'm sorry, we'll miss him, sorry for your loss. No, he doesn't look good. Unfortunately, we as human beings sometimes really mess up in the comfort department. But, you know, God, being the God of all comfort, is perfect and how he comforts us. And I want to take a look at that this morning. But I also want to take a look at the fact that Paul seems to be saying here to the body of believers that it is important for them to be able to comfort each other. And that sometimes when they have been comforted by God, they learn lessons. And they get to see how they can take that comfort with which they've been comforted and share it with others. 
He seems to be speaking to the fact that that would be a sign of unity. It would be a sign of love in the body of Christ. You know, Christ in John chapter 17, when he prays his high priestly prayer for himself and for his disciples and for all of us down through the ages, prayed that in the church we would have unity and that people would know that we belong to him because of not only that unity, but because of the love that we displayed for one another. Some of which could be displayed by being able to share comfort in an effective way. And so as Paul is saying here, look, this is the God of all comfort that I'm referring to, but you have some responsibilities yourself. I think I would want to just say as we move forward here this morning that one of the marks of the body of Christ may be the care that we take to comfort each other. Interestingly enough, if we look at this, there are some characteristics of this comfort that Paul is talking about that I think are very interesting. One characteristic is that um, this comfort is active. It's active. When he refers to the God of all comfort, it's the God who comforts us. And he does it perfectly. Even when sometimes God seems to be silent, it's for our building up, it's for our comfort. And that's probably a hard thing for us to be active about learning because one of the things that we do when we pray about the circumstances we face is it goes something like this, God, please take this away from me. Lord, please put an end to this. Stop that. But basically, just Remove whatever it is that's causing me trouble. Once I heard Tony Evans say in a sermon on the radio that that is exactly the wrong prayer because our better prayer is, Lord, help me to deal with this. Give me the strength, give me the grace, give me the wisdom to understand how to deal with what I'm going through. And in that regard, that's one of the things that Scripture tells us over and over that God does. You know, he sends stuff our way so that we learn from it. And so that in the process of being comforted by the God of all comfort, it is a very active process. It's not a passive process on God's part. It's also an extensive process. The text says that he is able to comfort us in all our afflictions. Not some. Not the ones that, uh, you know, we would like him to. After all, he's not our cosmic butler. But all. All our afflictions. Each and every one. Like it says back in the psalm, he daily bears us up. So this extent of this process of God being the God of all comfort is part of what's so marvelous as well. There is nothing that we face that he isn't available to comfort us regarding. It's also purposeful. It's purposeful in the sense that when we're comforted, then we can take that learning and turn it around and comfort others. There's a purpose 
maybe sometimes the reasons why I have to go through things have to do with understanding what other people are going through because I've been there. Now, sometimes people will say to me, well, you don't know what this is like. I wish you could walk in my body for a few days or I wish you could experience what I've experienced. And I will often tell them, look, if the job requirement for my job was I have to go through everything that everybody brings in here, I would not be doing this job, okay? I would be painting houses. I would be, you know, uh, doing something else, but I would not have this job. And yet there is an advantage. There's a distinct advantage I think I got better at being able to understand how parents felt after I had kids. I think I started to understand what it was like to lose someone close to you after people died. Certainly after my mom died, I knew more about what it's like to lose a parent. You know, the thing is that if part of the purpose of God comforting us is for us in the body to learn how to comfort each other, then here's a question. Are are we doing that? How are we doing with learning those lessons? Because what would show that we're learning the lessons is it would show in how we were helping and comforting each other. Here's something. This comfort is specific. It says that we would be able to comfort anyone in any affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. It's very specific. So is there something off limits? No. Is there something that, you know, if we were relying on God to help us provide comfort to someone that somehow we would just be stymied by? Well... It may be stymieing unless you stop and think about the fact that you always have the option of just being quiet. You know, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes some of the most comfort I've ever gotten from anybody is to just be with them and for them to be with me. Nobody says anything. Nobody talks. Nobody gives me advice. Nobody tells me what to do or how to fix it. But it's just, you know, here I am. I'm here. The quiet is okay. Like I said, it's the best thing that Job's friends did for him. They they messed it up shortly thereafter. But this comfort is also responsive. We take it. It has a purpose. We can respond to other people when they when they are in need. Now again, back to how this fits into the body of believers. You know, we talk about community. In fact, several sermons recently have been preached having to do with community and how the body fits together. And comforting one another is part of what I think God wants us to do. But we do that in God's strength, not our own. So let's talk about God for a minute, okay? That seems appropriate at this point. In Psalm 139... The psalmist actually lays out some characteristics of God that make him a wonderful and perfect comforter. What I want to do is go through some of these with you, at least briefly. We could spend more time on these things, but we don't have a lot of time. 
But in Psalm 139, let me just start off by reading you the first six verses. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Here's one of the reasons why God is the God of all comfort. He knows me better than anybody else. He knows my thoughts before I think them. He knows my reactions before I have them. He knows my needs before I articulate them. He knows me intimately and well. He knows me better than anybody else. Now that would be a person who would be a good comforter, someone that knows you so well, they would also know what you need. But God knows me. If we look at the next few verses, 7 through 12, they go like this. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning... And dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for the darkness is as light with you. Not only does God know me very well, but I cannot get away from him. There is no place I can go. There is no place to hide. I only delude myself if I think that there is. So here is a God of all comfort who not only knows me well, but is always available. Even when I'm trying to get away from him, he will not be lost to me. I cannot get away from him. Next two verses are interesting. Well, it's more than two. 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. So not only does he know me, not only can I not escape from him, but he made me. He knows every cell in my body. He knows every gene that I was blessed with. He knows every ache. He knows every pain. He knows every knee that's worse because I slipped and fell on the ice last Monday. 
you know, just saying. He knows me. He made me. Now there is a God of all comfort who not only is all these other things, but you know what? He did something for me that nobody else could do. He made me. In verses 17 and 18, the psalmist goes on, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. God's understanding and even his thoughts about me are more than I can comprehend. His thoughts are above my thoughts. His ways are above my ways, as it says in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. If I was actually given the opportunity and somehow God put in front of me a book that said, okay, this is how I do stuff, with my finite brain, I would look at it and have no clue because it is so far beyond anything that I could comprehend. So not only does he know me, not only can I not get away from him, not only did he make me, but you know what? His understanding, and that also relates to his ability to comfort me when I need it, are far beyond anything I could even put my hands around. Now this next part of the psalm is difficult, and you might wonder, why is this there? Starting in verse 19, it says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent, your enemies. Take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Now, what in the world is that doing in here? It seems kind of out of place. Here we are talking about all these wonderful and marvelous attributes of God, and here's a passage of Scripture that's stuck in there where the psalmist is is actually seeming to be pretty aggressive. But let's put this uh, into a context, because I think there is a very good context that can make some sense to us. The psalmist here is reflecting a bit of truth, and that is that God, this God of all comfort that we see Paul talking about, and this God that has all these other attributes that we see the psalmist talking about, God should be his, my, your top priority. And anything that challenges that Anything that demeans the God we serve, anything that goes against the truth that has to do with God would be something that we are kind of responsible to resist, to speak against, to work against. So why is that here? I think one of the things that comes along with having a God with so much that is so good and so massive and so purposeful is that what we do, we see in a number of places in the New Testament, 
is supposed to be to his glory. To tolerate the things that speak against him would not be to his glory. In case you haven't noticed, Christians and churches in this country are under fire more and more. And so, it may not be too long before it's our turn to understand this particular part of the passage in a little bit of a better way. But under even those circumstances, where does our comfort come from? From the God of all comfort and from each other in the body. But I think that the last two verses of this psalm are very interesting. It says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. There's an invitation. Search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Okay. How many of us feel real comfortable putting that one out there? And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let me read it again. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now I'm going to tell you some more truth this morning. As long as I'm telling you the truth. If I needed to have exploratory surgery... Okay, let's say there's something wrong with me. They're, not, they, they're really not sure what it is. And I need to choose a surgeon to cut me open, putting me to sleep first, of course, hopefully, and muddle around in my insides to see what I do or don't have. Guess what? I am going to be very picky about choosing a surgeon. I'm not going to choose just anybody. I'm not going to choose somebody that has bad outcomes or whose patients get, you know, pretty regular post-operative infections. I'm going to want somebody that's going to put everything back where it's supposed to go, all right? And I'm going to choose somebody I can trust. Think about this. In order to pray this prayer, search me, O God, and know my heart, you have to be able to trust God. You really have to be able to trust somebody that you're going to give that kind of access. Well, he has it already anyway, but to openly stand up and say, Search me, O God, and know my heart. You have to be able to trust God to really mean that. I'm reading a translation of Scripture in my morning study, which is an interesting translation in a number of respects. It's the first time I've ever used it, and I'll spare you all the reasons why I'm using it. But it translates this, probe me and understand my concerns. That seems a little different, and yet it's also one of those things that kind of I see how they translated it that way. But God can be trusted. God can be trusted to be the God of all comfort. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Many people in looking at this see that Paul may have borrowed for what he wrote here part of a liturgical prayer that was used in Paul's day for part of verse 3 
was used in synagogues quite a bit. And it basically was a prayer that had this intent, that God would treat the sinful individual with kindness, love, and tenderness. The world is a pretty hostile place, and life and circumstances on this planet can sometimes just be a pretty big challenge. In fact, you know, challenges abound. And one of the things that I think is, is, is crucial for us to understand, crucial for me to understand, is that in these trials and in these afflictions, which perhaps, as if you remember the, you know, what I alluded to earlier, I would have to struggle to believe are for my good, nevertheless are for my good. And in the process of dealing with the world, sometimes I may need not only to be able to rely on God and the comfort that he can bring in his perfection, but on you. You may need to rely on me. A number of years ago when I preached a sermon on a Sunday morning, it was in the summertime, it was one of those times when we were trying to get people to interact a little bit more in the morning sermons and that kind of thing. It was about prayer. Somebody sitting over in here, and I don't know who it was, and I, I don't know who it was, I'm, I'm sorry for that, said a wonderful thing in the middle of this sermon when it was appropriate to, to respond. He said that if he was in one room, and his child was in another room, and his child just said, Dad, in a way that sounded as if he needed help, he wouldn't even wait to get the explanation for what the child needed He wouldn't expect a well-thought-out, logical, point-by-point, with bullets and footnotes, explanation of, Dad, here's why I need you. He said that when he hears the word Dad, he just drops what he's doing and he finds his child. That is what God does for us. Father. And he comes looking for us. Interestingly enough, like I said, the world can be a rough, it can be a very hostile place. But when Christ was with his disciples in John chapter 16, he says a wonderful thing to them. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. And then he says probably what I think is one of the great things in scripture. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you for your attributes and the things that are so true about you. We thank you and praise you that you are the God of all comfort, that you know us, that you care about us, that you bear our burdens, that you sent your Son to die for us so that we can spend eternity with you. And yet, Lord, we also know that at times we can get caught up in what we're dealing with and we can have any one of a number of 
of ways of getting distracted from just acknowledging that you are God. We pray that you would not only be our God of all comfort, but that you would also help us to be able to comfort others with the comfort with which we are comforted. We pray that you would help us to know the peace and the joy that comes through knowing your Son. And we pray, Father, that as we are here this morning, you would help us to think about our responsibilities in the body. But Lord, we thank you that you have overcome the world. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. You know, before we leave, let me just say something to you that may be another newsflash. This God of all comfort is the God who is referred to in Romans 8.31 when Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? When we accept that we are cut off from God, however, and that we cannot experience being in the presence of God for eternity because of our own sin, and we need some way of remedying that, one of the marvelous things about this that often is misunderstood is that we have only one way to do that, and that is through coming to a personal, saving relationship with God's Son, Jesus Christ, who, we're told in Romans 8.34, is on the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. And when we, having established that relationship and accepted that free grace, find ourselves in straits where we don't even know how to pray. Romans 8.26 says that the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. These things are available to us. And I would say that if anyone is here this morning, I know I say this, But if anyone is here and has not come to that kind of a relationship with Jesus Christ, I just encourage you to come talk to me after the service is over. Because this God of all comfort, this intercessor in the person of his Son, and this helper in the form of the Holy Spirit can be yours for the asking. My open prayer for you is that you have a wonderful week. Be safe, be warm, but thank God for all that he has done. You're dismissed.